Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to what I've got in store for you today. Rob Louie is going to be joining me in just a minute. Dr. Greg Borgon is going to be coming in. We're going to be talking about a single passage in Scripture out of Hebrews chapter 6. And then my friend and Bible mentor Jeff Verdorn is coming in for the continuation of our series on end times. This is going to be number 6 with Jeff. So I'm looking forward to all of this. Rob Louie is my Washington, D.C. correspondent and also the executive editor over at The Daily Signal. Rob, welcome once again to the show. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be back with you today. Thank you. Yeah, before we jump in, I just would love for you to kind of remind listeners of your um, your position. Your, I mean, you've been a conservative your whole life and you you just love conservative values, don't you, when it comes to politics? <laughs> I, I do. Yes, I I, I have been. I, I I'm you know there's all people who come to different political persuasions in different ways. There are you know liberals who sure. become conservatives, maybe conservatives who eventually become liberals. Absolutely. I think it mostly happens the other way. But for me, it really started I think uh, with with my parents, as as it does I think with a lot of people and the values they instilled in in me as I was growing up. Um, you know the the importance of, uh, of of faith in our in our family and the belief in God, and I think all of those common sense ideas that uh, that I think really are what makes conservatism the the political uh, ideology of choice for for me and and so many other people. It's that we believe in freedom and liberty, and we think that personal responsibility and and the individual can uh, can achieve great things. It doesn't always need to be dependent on on government. We rely on uh, on community based organization, churches, and civil society to help solve our problems and don't always turn to government. So those are some of the key things that have helped shape my life and why I enjoy working for a conservative news organization, The Daily Signal, which is, of course, part of the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C. And I'm so grateful to you, Bill, for having me as a guest each week to uh, to bring the latest news, because there's never a shortage of things to talk about, that's well, for sure. That is so true. <laughs> Rob, thank you for sharing that again with me and the audience. I think it's always good to um, you know, have a, a refresher, because the conservative viewpoint is one that when you make it, you seem to, uh, we seem to at times uh, appear critical of the other side. Well, so much, Bill, of, of our politics today is uh, is about uh, pointing fingers at the other side. I will give you that, mm -hmm. when it really should be coming together and finding solutions. And I, I don't know uh, how we get back to that point exactly. It seems that on, on in Washington, D.C., we are at a, at a point where that is incredibly difficult, even on issues where there might be broad agreement. Uh, we can't even, for instance, agree on what an infrastructure bill is, because some people see that as roads and bridges, and other people see it as... Medicare and and uh, and community colleges and everything else. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's a tough uh, situation. That's why I believe that sometimes things are done best at, at the uh, at, at the closest level to the people, and that's in local government. That's in state governments. You're seeing uh, some really good progress being made across the country. 
where people are able to come together and put aside their differences. But you're right. We have a, a broken system in Washington. And I do appreciate President Biden's commitment to working with Republicans and the fact that he continues to talk about that. And I think that there are probably people on Capitol Hill who, um, you know, hear him say that and think he's doing it, you know, merely for for public relations reasons and isn't serious. But I really do hope that they take him to heart. And I hope that he maintains that uh, that spirit throughout his administration, because after all, he is our president, whether you agree with his policies or not. Did you think you were going to get a pop quiz on your life today? No, <laughs> I, I didn't. But I, but you know, it's it's always good to mix things oh, up. Oh, good. You yeah, know? yeah. You did a great. <laughs> the job. The only thing I like better is when you when we talk about sports. I know. And, uh, I know. And, you know. I mean, look at we've got a we've got the sixteen team set for the Stanley Cup. Oh, trust I mean, it's me. an exciting time. <laughs> trust me, I cannot wait till tomorrow night. All right, let's uh, talk about the price of gas in your neighborhood. Has it gone up? Because of the pipeline, it certainly hacking. has. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's uh, in well in major cities, it always seems to be more expensive. So I'm sure That's Washington D.C. is is no exception to that. But I mean, it's well over three dollars in in Washington D.C. And uh, you know, I think that there's a combination of of, of factors here. Um, you know, there are a lot of concerns. Economists have concerns about inflation and and prices of all things going up. Uh, you know, groceries and clothing and you name it. Um, that's one of the consequences that you you get in a situation like we may find ourselves. Now, so far, the Treasury Ch- Secretary Janet Yellen seems to uh, be dismissing some of those calls, and we've seen some fluctuation in the stock market as a result of that. But then you also have situations like this uh, this hacking, this uh, situation that uh, has has taken place over the last few days with uh, with basically trying to blackmail uh, the operators of this critical pipeline that runs from the southeastern United States all the way up into the mid-Atlantic. And you just realize, you know, how vulnerable our system can be, Bill, in terms of uh, what people can do and, and the malicious uh, steps that they take. And, and so a variety of things are obviously contributing to it, but, uh, but that's certainly one of the most recent things that's uh, on, on a lot of people's minds because it'll have a big impact. Rob, how did this pipeline get hacked into? Do you know how that happened? Well, um, we're still trying to figure out all of the details. So uh, based on the latest information that I have seen, Bill, you know, it's a situation where it's not um, it's it's not particularly uh, novel. I mean, this is something that's been happening um, for for a while uh, to to various places. Uh, But what you have is a situation where. Uh, a, a bad actor, you know, sometimes these are nation states, sometimes they are just uh, individuals that are, are trying to cause disruptions or trying to extort, you know, a particular amount of money uh, from from somebody who's, uh, who's uh, you know, perhaps vulnerable. And, and the other thing we have to remember is, uh, you know, some of these pipelines or particularly local or state governments don't have the advanced technology or security systems in place that make themselves more vulnerable to, uh, to this level of hacking. And so in this case, uh, they were trying to extort and, uh, and in some, and, you know, we've seen this time and time again where it's easier for companies or, or governments to just pay off the ransom than, uh, than try to fight it because that's the best way to get things back up and running again. I just think that it's, uh, you know, as somebody said today, this is going to be one of the major challenges of this next century is uh, is making sure that we have secure systems and there aren't uh, bad actors out there trying to disrupt our lives in this way. It does seem like cyber attacks and cybersecurity is going to be a, a significant issue uh, going forward. 
Oh, I, I agree. It absolutely, mm-hmm. it absolutely is. I mean, we, we talk about it. Uh, we have talked about it a lot in the context of our elections. And, uh, and of course, uh, Russia, 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 as our former president, Donald Trump would say, uh, was a big focus of what happened in 2016 and maybe some, some actions that they were trying to use to, uh, to influence the election. But uh, you better believe that uh, there are, like I said, there are both foreign countries that I think are, are taking part in this, uh, but there are also, um, you know, just individuals or, or organizations that um, are doing a variety of things. Sometimes it'll be as direct as an attack on a major U.S. Uh, oil pipeline, like what we're seeing in the last few days. Uh, other times it'll be through disinformation campaigns, uh, bots that are operating on social media when really, you know, they're not true individuals behind them. So there's a variety of things that uh, that go into this. And one of the scariest things is, uh, is you know, the, um, the deep fakes, Bill, uh, where mm-hmm. people use technology in a way to, to manipulate things that you may not have said. Uh, of course, the, one of the big examples of this was, uh, was some people who uh, took a video of Nancy Pelosi and slowed it down and make her look like she was uh, not mentally stable um, in, in a press conference. Uh, Facebook decided, you know, would take action against that. Uh, but it can have a big influence on people's thinking. And uh, and I think we're probably going to see more of that. And, and it really requires our technology companies, I think, to make sure that they're at the cutting edge tr- to try to detect this and uh, and be aware of uh, of what's at, it, what's at stake. I wonder if people are familiar with deep fakes. I saw a comedian uh, do an impression of Al Pacino and I thought, Oh man, is this guy good? He can actually make his face look like Al Pacino when he does the impression. And that was before I understood what a deep fake was. Well, exactly. Uh, so, so basically, for, for for your listeners who've not heard the term before, it, it essentially means that uh, you will take somebody's voice, uh, maybe even their their image, and you will be able to use technology in a way that uh, that manipulates it to look like they've said something that they actually haven't said or done. Yeah. And uh, and yes, uh, in the, in the political space, it is it is very frightening because think about how quickly news travels and something a clip gets posted on social media and all of a sudden uh, you believe that it's true yep. that somebody de- did or said something when in fact um, you know it never happened. I think there was a deep fake of Tom Cruise that went pretty viral. I don't know if you had seen that or not. I don't think I did see that one. No, oh, it is it is completely believable. It, they are. They are. They are so believable. It is. It is just. Uh, just amazing. And that's why I think uh, it's hard for individuals to detect uh, what yep. is what is true and false. And Bill, this goes. This goes to a bigger issue. Why I think we all need to have a certain level of of healthy skepticism about uh, things. I mean, there were some just last. I think it was just last week. Uh, there was a series of stories that came out from major news organizations, the Washington Post, New York Times, and others about uh, Rudy Giuliani, the former New York mayor, and. And, and Trump ally and uh, and this investigation and, and they, they completely got the facts wrong, but it was too late. I mean, the story had already gone viral and there were so many people talking about it. So it's not just it's not just people who are using sophisticated technology. It can sometimes be just things that are happening in the, the course of everyday life. And it's why I think that it's so important to rely on multiple sources of news and information. And um, and like I say, to have a healthy skepticism about some of the things that you see, particularly on social media, where it might not all be vetted. Yeah, very true. All right, Rob, let me take a break. When I come back, I want to ask you about the jobs report. Uh, Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll be right back.
I'm back with Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, I already have a listener wondering, is there any concern that the pipeline hack is fabricated or homegrown to drive up prices? Huh. Hmm. That's I interesting. Know? I, had, I, I haven't thought that. about that angle, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I'll, I'll have to look into that a little bit more. Um, so far, the evidence doesn't seem to suggest that that's the case, but, uh, yeah. but definitely um, perhaps. Yeah. Let's talk about the jobs report. Uh, give me your, uh, your take on it. Well, it was uh, really an abysmal jobs report. Unfortunately, uh, things seemed to like they were heading in the right direction, but uh, but actually, just two hundred and sixty six thousand new jobs were added. Uh, that was um, quite a, a miss from what was projected to be a significantly higher number. Uh, it was uh, perhaps one of the the, the biggest um, underperformances that we have had in in recent memory. The unemployment rate actually increased back up to six point one percent, and now you have a debate in our country about whether or not the unemployment, the generous unemployment insurance benefits that have been offered by the government are perhaps uh, dissuading people from uh, taking a job. Uh, are they uh, simply content to uh, collect the, the government on insurance uh, benefit instead of uh, going out and finding work? And after defending uh, the program, uh, President Biden came out uh, just yesterday and said a couple of important things will happen. Uh, number one, he said that he's going to instruct states that any unemployed American who's offered a comparable job must take it or risk losing their government benefits. I mean, he's also asking his Labor Department to work with states to reinstate some requirements uh, so those receiving unemployment benefits demonstrate that they're looking for work. So I think that, that, is, uh, that that's an acknowledgement that this might be having a, a negative impact in some places. But, uh, but yeah, I think, Bill, uh, certainly we need to see much, uh, much greater growth if, uh, if we're going to get back to the w- place that we were pre-pandemic. And hopefully, as, um, as our country begins to reopen and more and more people head back to work, uh, we were encouraged right here in our, in our own community when the D.C. mayor said that she's lifting uh, the capacity limits on so many of the businesses, including our own, on May uh, 21st. Uh, that will allow, I think, a lot of places to to begin to return to normal. It'll never be quite like it was, um, obviously, with uh, with COVID still still around, but uh, but certainly an encouraging sign in some respects. One of the signs I see more than ever right now, Rob, is the words now hiring. I see those everywhere. Big banners. Well, that is true, and that is one of the challenges that some some places are finding. So, depending on what industry it is that's hiring, uh, you have different factors. So, I, I, I've I've heard reports that uh, that's for some of the uh, hospitality or restaurant industry, there are individuals who don't necessarily want to take the chance of being in a situation where they might be exposed to COVID. And, and obviously there's a lot of, you know, face-to-face customer interaction there. Mm-hmm. Um, in other cases, it's simply that we just don't have the, maybe the, the talent pool available. Um, and that's been a challenge even pre-COVID. So uh, you'll remember it was during the Trump administration that, that Trump often bragged about the fact that uh, the unemployment number was so low, they had more job openings than they had workers to, to fill those jobs. So it's not necessarily a new challenge. I do think, though, uh, the one thing is there's a, there's a tremendous number of people who simply haven't gone back to the jobs that they had pre-pandemic, and we need to figure out what we can do uh, to motivate them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I, I, I heard, um, Bill, is that because of the stock market boom over the last year, uh, some people who may be nearing retirement have decided that, you know, what's the, <laughs> what's the incentive of going back when I, I've got a good nest egg in my 401k right. that I can rely on and, uh, and retire. So maybe that creates opportunities for younger workers, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time for our employers uh, to figure this out. And, uh, and the longer that happens, I think that the, the more protracted the recovery will be, and it'll cause problems potentially like inflation to materialize. Mm -hmm. Rob, what is the latest on Jack Phillips? He's the, the baker who is back in court again. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, Jack Phillips, your listeners might remember, won a big Supreme Court case several years ago uh, when, he, um, when he was challenged because he refused to bake a cake uh, as, as a cake artist. He calls himself a cake artist that he said um, would uh, be in violation of his, his conscious and religious beliefs. And uh, what, what happened was um, Jack uh, went to an organization, uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, they, they, they took his case um, on, uh, you know, on the, on the grounds that he was acting his, based on his religious beliefs, and the Supreme Court uh, upheld that. So, yes, you are correct. Uh, Jack, we, have a, we have a great interview with Jack. It's posted on the Daily Signal podcast today. Uh, he talks about uh, the latest challenge. Uh, he seems like he's constantly under attack from, from those who, uh, who oppose him. And uh, and how the state of Colorado is now uh, posing another threat based on on other complaints against him. So, you know, Bill, um, I, I feel sorry for the, for the man, and I think that there are other artists out there who aren't compelled to do things that are against their personal beliefs. And uh, just because Jack uh, makes cakes, um, he's not discriminating against individuals. He's uh, he's exercising his his personal freedoms. Hmm. Before we move on, Rob, let me just circle back one more time to our discussion on jobs and hiring because another a listener chimed in with when offered wages that won't pay our bills and jobs that would pay them but reject us is there any surprise we quit looking so there's probably <laughs> a number of people that have yeah uh, that have I- quit looking i think so uh remember we've now had almost a year of COVID relief packages uh, in the trillions of dollars come out of Washington, D.C. And, and of course, that there's an, about another $4 trillion that's been proposed in the American Families Plan and the American uh, Jobs Plan. So, uh, Bill, th- just a tremendous amount of, of, of spending. And I think there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, uh, how much is too much? You know, because at the same time that, uh, that a lot of these proposals will, will draw public support, uh, you know, there, there's also a limit, I think, as we've talked about before, uh, the, the ability to, we, we, have to, we have to pay attention to our debt. Uh, that is a concern that I think uh, particularly those of us who have parents and are, are, are raising the next generation worry about because we don't want to pass that on to them and leave them a problem that they'll have to deal with. And, uh, and yes, um, that is, uh, that's a particular issue that um, is of concern. That is, that is no doubt. Mm-hmm. Rob, do you have an update on HR1 or would you like to pass on that? Uh, well, I do because today oh, was a big day in the U.S. Senate. Uh, the Senate was marking up the legislation. Uh, of course, it's HR1. That stands for House of Representatives. The Senate version is called S1. Uh, it's called officially the For the People Act, although uh, that I think is a, is a, is a misnamed uh, piece of legislation because it doesn't really help the people. What it helps are the politicians in Washington. It gives them an advantage as incumbents over other challengers who may be trying to uh, to oust them from office. 
office. Um, and the, the, the bill does a whole variety of other things um, in terms of uh, giving uh, uh, felons the opportunity to vote, uh, really restricting what states can do with voter ID. Um, it uh, is, um, is, is very broad in scope in, in giving the federal government powers that have traditionally been uh, left to the states to decide when it comes to our election laws. And so it's it, you know making its way slowly through the U.S. Senate. Uh, of course, the U.S. Senate has a, is split 50-50. The Democrats do control the tie-breaking vote with Vice President Harris. So, Bill, we're going to keep a close eye on this because I think absolutely is an issue that is, uh, is on the minds of a lot of people. They have a distrust in our electoral process right now, and we need to make sure. This is one area where we t- started the conversation talking about importance of working together between Republicans and Democrats. This is one area that I don't think you can afford to do on, uh, on you know, at a, at a national level um, this way. And so to the extent that we can try to come together and find agreement, uh, I think uh, this bill is the, the wrong solution to try to do that. Mm-hmm. The news continues to cover the crisis at the border. What is uh, update? Can we talk about there? Well, yes, and we had a team from the Daily Signal uh, spend some time on the border speaking to individuals whose lives have been directly impacted, uh, ranchers, uh, border patrol agents, uh, law, law enforcement uh, who, who are responding, the first responders in many cases to, to some of these uh, situations of border crossers. So you're absolutely correct. Um, it continues to be a challenge. Uh, the number of apprehensions uh, is, is significantly uh, more than it's, it's been uh, in the past. And uh, we're going to get a, a clear focus, I think, tomorrow. Well, hopefully we'll get some answers tomorrow when the Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas testifies before Congress. And I think uh, hopefully we'll be held accountable for some of the things that have happened on his watch, particularly undoing so many of the policies of the last administration that seem to be working. And uh, and I think that's one of the, the head scratchers. Um, even if you disagreed with President Trump, why undo some of the things that uh, appeared to be working? And generally speaking, um, we're, we're keeping the situation at bay while we were tr- trying to put in place better policies. Um, instead of just throwing them all out and starting from scratch, uh, I think that that uh, exacerbated the issue. Mm-hmm. Rob, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the program today and have a rest of a wonderful Tuesday with your family and a great night. Thank you, Bill. You too. Thanks so much. Rob Blue has been my guest, as he always is on Tuesdays. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always go to dailysignal.com to learn more about his work over there. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to do a deep dive into Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to cover four verses with Dr. Greg Borgon. You can also head over to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. And we're going to take a couple minutes and be right back.
I just want to let you know that every day is Mother's Day, and I love blessing moms, and because Mother's Day was last Sunday doesn't mean we're not going to continue wanting to bless moms. We're doing a Blessing Moms and Mentors giveaway all month, so I want to invite you to bless that woman in your life. Maybe it's your mother, a stepmom, or a mentor. You can nominate her at MyFaithRadio.com, and she could win a special Mother's Day gift set. So head over to MyFaithRadio.com to nominate that special, special mom or mentor. All right. I would say Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 is one of the more difficult passages to interpret. But one thing is clear. It does not teach that we can lose our salvation. That's Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. My guest is Dr. Greg Borgon, and we are going to do a deep dive on this verse today. Greg, welcome. Yeah, it's good to be here. Nice to have you here in studio. (laughs) Let's do our deep dive. Let's begin. All right. Well, years ago when I was in seminary, um, I took this passage because it always perplexed me to do a paper on it. And so being compulsive like I am, I was trying to justify my compulsivity. You are compulsive. (laughs) (laughs) I I decided I was going to tackle this passage because all of Scripture was telling me that I couldn't lose my salvation, but this passage kept standing out like a neon light, and so I decided to do... May I read the passage? Sure. Yes. Go ahead. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6 states, It is impossible for one who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Now, let's explore this a little bit by looking at the first two words in the first uh, verse impossible and enlightened. What does that really mean? Impossible literally means without power or no power. So in Hebrews 6, 6, it means there's no power or capability to return to the knowledge of Christ and share in the church life with Christians again. That's what it actually means. And then enlightened literally means to bring to light or to give light or to make plain. So in Hebrews 6, 4, it means to to give understanding. So as we look at this passage, Bill, which has perplexed people for for decades, if not centuries, we have several questions that come to light as we look at this passage. Does the passage refer to Christians who have received the gift of salvation and have been sealed by the Holy Spirit? Or does the passage refer to those who have professed to be Christians but have not actually been saved? Mm -hmm. If Christians then, is it possible as the passage suggests, to lose one's salvation by denying Christ. Another question that it might bring up is, if not Christians, can a person come so close as to experience uh, externally the benefits reserved for those who experienced internal conversion and regeneration to turn away and abandon the Savior and degenerate into a state from which they cannot be saved? And finally, does the passage even deal with eternal security at all? So wow. those questions come to mind. Okay. Now, those, these are but a few of the, those perplexing questions that face us as we attempt to really interpret this, these verses before us. Now, there are two valid ways of looking at these verses. 
And I would propose a third way. Okay. We'll keep the third way till the end, but let's look at the two that are most commonly uh, rolled out when people look at this passage. So interpretation one. <clears throat> one interpretation holds that this passage is written not about Christians, but about unbelievers who are convinced of the basic truths of the gospel, but who haven't placed their faith in Jesus as Savior. So they're intellectually persuaded, but spiritually uncommitted. Mm-hmm. Now, according to this interpretation, the phrase once enlightened refers to some level of instruction in biblical truth. You've got to remember that this book was written to Hebrew Christians. However, understanding the words of Scripture is not the same as being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, being renewed or restored or revived. Let's pause just for a second, because that's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Understanding the words of Scripture is not the same as being born again. Absolutely. Yep. And today in Western culture, oftentimes that's enough for people, mm-hmm. but not for the Holy Spirit. So let me give you an example. Uh, in John 4, uh, 1, 9, it describes Jesus, the true light, giving light to every man. But this can't mean the light of salvation because not every man's saved, right? Mm-hmm. So through God's sovereign power, every man has enough light to be held responsible. This light either leads to the complete acceptance or re- receiving of Jesus Christ or produces condemnations to those who reject the truth. So the people described in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 are of the latter group, according to this interpretation. Unbelievers who have been exposed to God's redemptive truth and perhaps have made even a profession of faith, but who have not exercised genuine saving faith. Now, in a separate article, I thought it'd be interesting for our listeners to understand what's meant by a genuine saving faith. So genuine saving faith, let me explain that a little bit. There, um, there is a series of tests in First John that we can use to examine ourselves and our faith. Now, as we look at them, remember that no one will perfectly fulfill all of them all of the time, but they should reveal a consistent trend that characterizes our lives as we go in Christ. So, number one, do they enjoy having fellowship with Christ and his redeemed people, according to 1 John 1, three? Number two, would people say you walk in the light or you walk in the darkness, 1 John 1, 6 and 7? Three, do you admit and confess your sin, 1 John 1, 8? Four, are you obedient to God's word, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 5? Five, does your life indicate your love uh, of God rather than the world? 1 John 2.15. Number six, is your life characterized by doing what is right? 1 John 2.29. And number seven, do you seek to maintain a pure life? 1 John 3.3. Number eight, do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? 1 John uh, 3 verses 5 and 6. Now, note that this refers to not continuing in sin as a way of life, not a total abstinence from sin. Mm -hmm. And number nine, do you demonstrate love for other Christians? 1 John 3, 14. Number 10, do you walk the walk versus just talking the talk? 1 John 3, 18 and 19. And finally, number 11, or 11 and then 12, do you maintain a clear conscience? 1 John 3, 21. And finally, do you experience victory in your Christian walk? 1 John 5, 4. Now, you won't be able to satisfy all of those, mm-hmm. but there should be a trend. There should be a, some sort of bar graph that shows that you're moving in that direction. 
So those are kind of what we, these are the indications of what a genuine saving faith is. So this interpretation, interpretation one, sees the phrase tasted, which simply means literally to taste, to get a taste of or to experience. So in Hebrews 6, 4, it means to experience the heavenly gift, but not to possess it. So tasting, so that's important for us to understand. Um, Tasting death, this brief experience with the heavenly gift is not seen as equivalent to salvation. Rather, it's it's likened to a second and third soils in Jesus' parable uh, in Matthew chapter 13. Finally, this interpretation sees the falling away as a reference to those who have tasted the truth, not having come all the way to faith, fall away from even uh, the revelation they have been given. <clears throat> so the tasting of truth is not enough to keep them from falling away from it. They must come all the way to Christ in complete repentance and faith. Otherwise, they, in effect, re-crucify Christ, as the passage tells us, and treats him contemptuously. So those who sin against Christ in such a way have no hope of restoration or forgiveness because they reject him with full knowledge and conscious experience. So they concluded that Jesus should have been crucified, and they stand with his enemies. It's impossible to renew such to repentance. It may be what the Bible refers to as the unpardonable sin. So that's the first interpretation. So the the next interpretation holds that the passage is written about Christians and that the phrase partakers of the Holy Ghost, enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift, are all descriptions of true believers. This is where it gets a little hairy. This second interpretation is based on an alternate translation found in the King James Version, and a few others in which Hebrews 6.6 6 begins with a phrase, if they fall away. Now, the, the accent bill is on if, with the key word being if. According to this view, the writer of Hebrews is setting up a hypothetical statement. If a Christian were to fall away, the point being made is that it would be impossible if a Christian falls away to renew salvation. That's because Christ died once for all, according to Hebrews 9.28, and his sacrifice is insufficient, and there's no hope at all. So in this view, the passage presents an argument based on a false premise, that a true Christian can fall away, and follows it to a senseless conclusion that Jesus would have to be sacrificed again and again. Now, the absurdity of this conclusion points up the impossibility of the original assumption This reason is called uh, reducio ad absurdium, in which a premise is disproved by showing that it logically leads to an absurdity. So the weakness of this view, however, is that the Greek text does not contain a word equivalent to the English if. So King James Version translated that way, but there's no Greek equivalent to that word if. So both of these interpretations support the security of the believer in Christ, The first interpretation, which has a stronger textual basis, presents unbelievers rejecting Christ and thereby losing their chance of salvation. I mean, total, absolute rejection. The second, weaker interpretation presents the very idea of believers losing salvations as impossible. So, many passages make it abundantly clear, Bill, that salvation is everlasting. In case anybody's listening and they're they're starting to wonder uh, right now, Let me just cite a few of those passages before we go to break. Would that be all right? Please. John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never, accent on never, perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, not even themselves. Romans 8, 35, 38, and 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ through our Lord. Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And I'll just conclude with this comment, Bill. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the deposit, the seal, or earnest uh, in the hearts of Christians, according to 2 Corinthians 1.22 and, and Ephesians 1.13 and 14 and so forth. The Holy Spirit is God's seal to his people. His claim is honest as his very own. The Greek word translated earnest in this passage means a pledge. That is, part of the purchase money or property given in advance as a security for the rest. So the gift of the Spirit to believers is a down payment on our heavenly inheritance, which Christ has promised to us and secured for us at the cross. It's because the Spirit has sealed us. And, and God can only break the seal, and if he did, he would be denying himself. Um, sealed us that we are assured of our salvation. No one can break the seal of God. Mm. Powerful. Yeah. Let's take a break. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. If you've got your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 6, we're looking at verses 4 through 6 today. And that's all we're looking at. Be right back. happy to let that play a little longer than, than usual. <laughs> My favorite song. <laughs> That's the theme song for Dr. Greg Borgon. You can always go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg. We're talking about Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Yeah. Well, in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, before we go on to the third interpretation, the one that I actually adhere to, um, in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we have this further insurance. In him, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed, that is, trusted in, relied on, and, and clung to, in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's a great promise. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you're doubting, audience, about your salvation, you need to reread this passage. You were sealed. Regardless of how you feel, it is a fact. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to the third interpretation, the one that 
I actually concluded with when I did that research paper, and I, I've been back to it several times since then, of course. And you, you still agree with this interpretation? <laughs> yeah, my third one. Okay. Yes, <laughs> I do. All right, I'm just checking. <laughs> I'm just checking. All right, so prior to investigating in greater depth, I, I, Bill, I, I firmly held to the theory that this passage dealt primarily with those professing Christians who had come as close as they as any could, to receiving Christ as their personal Lord and Savior without consummating the act. Now, they had tasted, but not indulged. Okay. So they had experienced the external, but not the internal. In light of Scripture, in general, there was no doubt in my mind, that is, that once saved, always saved. And we've just gone through a number of Scriptures that underscore that, that truth. That grounded fact did not permit me to see any other solution to this perplexing and confusing passage other than there was somebody that was professing to be a Christian or, uh, but really didn't mean it at the core of their being. So this problem text, in my view, could be explained in only two ways, and we just went through those. Either they were not Christians at all, or they were, and therefore they could lose their salvation by apostatizing. Now, what we mean by apostasy is... The, the term apostasy comes from the Greek word apostasia, uh, meaning defection or departure, revolt or rebellion. So it's been described as a willful falling away, a rebellion against Christianity. Apostasy is the rejection of Christ by one who has been a Christian. So that's what apostasy means. Now, salvation is a process and not a one-time event. What is a one-time event is the conversion event, the moment at which you're, you're saved. But salvation is a process. Conversion uh, is a one-time event that launches the salvation experience. We taste at first, and then we indulge. <clears throat> Tasting is not rejecting. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Scripture says. They have tasted the heavenly gift in the goodness of the Word of God in the sense that they've accepted and tested it and found it to be good. Okay? So in like manner, to partake or share in the Holy Spirit means to enjoy fully. These were men and women then, as one commentator asserts, who had experienced the joys of salvation, the fellowship of the Spirit completely and intimately, the nourishment and satisfaction of the Word either written or preached, and the confirmation and reinforcement of the supernatural. These experiences are the normal privileges and, and constituents of, of regeneration. Exegetical wizardry, interpretation wizardry, cannot explain away with complete satisfaction the fact that these are Christians in the truest sense of the word. Why would the author need to cite this situation to those he was confident of better things, he says? What would be the purpose if not to warn them against such a possibility? The letter, we recall, is addressed, Bill, to Hebrew Christians, those who remained faithful to their call and had not yet lapsed back into Judaism. That being the case, how do we explain the impossibility of those who fall away to be brought back to repentance, as the passage says? To their loss, the author says, they crucify repeatedly the Son of God all over, again, and, subje and subject him to public disgrace. Well, in the first place, the author, it's noted, does not say it is impossible to be brought back to forgiveness, but it is impossible to be brought back to repentance. Now, let me explain that. Forgiveness is still available. Repentance is impossible only if one continues by their actions and disobedience to crucify the Son of God all over again. A better translation of the text would probably read, 
it is impossible if they fall away to be brought back to repentance while to their loss they're crucifying Christ all over again by their lifestyle and by how they live. When a person is in rebellion against God, he does not want to repent. Only as he recognizes his need and quits crucifying the Son of God by his open rebellion, which serves only to subject him to public disgrace, will he repent and be restored. So the prodigal son is an example of how far someone can go in the rebellion before he repents of it. It should be remembered that he squandered his inheritance. Christians in rebellion also squander their inheritance. But even if we waste our blessings, like the prodigal son, God will restore us to fellowship when we repent. Isn't that great news? It is good news, yep. So in conclusion then, this falling away is more than the simple backsliding of a feeble Christian. It's a falling away that begins with a lack of growth or stagnation initially and advances to atrophy. It shrinks up. There is a point at which continual decline is reversible, irreversible. In the end, is in no man's land, the result of falling back again into the pattern of sinful degradation from which they were rescued at one time. Paul even reminds us to not live again as a Gentile, the way he puts it. It is possible for a Christian who has once enjoyed victory to now taste defeat. It is possible for a Christian to become dull and desensitized to the point of impotence in spiritual matters. He or she no longer hears the still small voice of God, nor do they respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. His or hers is a carnal existence. That point of no return is known only to the Lord. Until that point is reached, his restoration to fellowship with God in this life is still possible, but not until he repents anew. So my wife used to say, you can't backslide until you first front slid. <laughs> so a person could live the faith and then for some reason by circumstances or events turn their back on God and live in the squalor that God saved them from. And then all of a sudden it becomes what the Bible calls a stronghold in their life. And it's impossible for them in and of themselves to, to pull themselves out of this quicksand that they've chosen. So again, I, I stress, Bill, the point of no return is known only to the Lord. Until that point is reached, restoration to fellowship with God in this life is still possible, but not until we repent anew. So in any case, the person who is at the point of no return, who has apostatized and by his actions symbolically crucifies Christ again and subjects him to public disgrace, is saved still, even by, uh, as if by the skin of his teeth. One who has made an honest and sincere commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is saved. Not because he warrants it, but because of God's word and God's grace. It is true that only God knows the depths of one's insincerity, and there are those who profess to be Christians but really aren't. Here, though, the author is speaking to Christians. Man in his free will is still capable of rebellion even after Bill's sanctification to the point of degeneracy and complete stagnation. It is against this condition that the author warns his readers. They, too, through disobedience, are capable of apostasy. 
the ultimate end of continual backsliding, even though they're saved by the skin of their teeth. It's a lot to think about, Greg. <laughs> I'm going to have to chew on this one. I'll have to listen to it again and again, maybe. <laughs> this is usually what I get into with you is uh, <laughs> waters that I have to uh, swim out of. Thank you for doing this, and thank you for uh, being part of the show today. That's Dr. good to be here, Dr. Bill. Greg Borgon has been my guest, and you can always go to heartofawarrior.org, and if you need to do what I need to do is listen to this again, uh, the podcast is available at myfaithradio.com. Just shortly after the show ends tonight, Rosie's real good at getting that podcast up, and we'll have it for you real soon. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our study on End Times with uh, Jeff Redorn. And you uh, know that I think this is our, our sixth session with Jeff, and we definitely have questions. That if you have, let me know what they are. We will get them on the show today, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.